Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. We're in a sensor-driven world. Everything's connected. And it's challenging uh, our preconceptions of how to run a business, how to create a business model, how to create engaging cultures, both on the internal side and the partner side. So it, it's really fascinating. And rarely do we get to meet somebody who actually has been at the beginning of things like the data center. Uh, and uh, so we were able to get a hold of Chris Crosby, the founder and CEO of Compass Data Centers for a great conversation on what's going on in the data center area. So Chris, great having you here. Thank you so much. I really look forward to our conversation today, Ron. Well, just in the last few minutes, everyone, I've been getting to know Chris because I've never met him before. And I I tell you this journey you've been on, and I call it um, uh, practicing your perfection, right? Yeah. Practice practice makes perfect, right? Tell us very quickly your journey and especially what you were doing right before Compass, because it was at an inflection point of this marketplace. Sure, sure. So computer science out of school, spent the first 10 years in telecom uh, at Nortel, a manufacturer, and, and then um, left to uh, uh, get into this real estate and technology real estate industry, uh, places where we were installing these switches. I was at a place that's now called Coresight, and then but then was one of the founders uh, at Digital Realty Trust, one of the executives there, and then started Compass a little under 10 years ago. And boy, what a incredible journey going from the, the bowels of the dot-com bust uh, when we started picking up assets for pennies on the dollar to, you know, the production of, of, these, of these massive facilities all over the world that, have, that are really the, the, they are the utility of today. Um, without them, that you really can't do do anything. I think the pandemic really showed everybody that without, without access, uh, you were stuck. And you've lived through some amazing inflection points where you were talking about, you know, myself back in 1980 with McDonnell Douglas and football fields full of computers and people who can really access them and the birth of managed services, getting access to those mainframes through uh, McDonnell Douglas data center. And, uh, and, and then to distributed systems. Um, but tell, tell us about those inflection points and how it led up to a Compass-like business model. Yeah, so we went from, you know, the mainframe, the ultimate closed system, with, uh, you know, my, my green screen, like we were talking about earlier. Um, and, you know, you'd send your batches of, of, you know, compute store what you needed and the IO or the network was in between, it was in between the two. Um, you know, I was really at the birth of Unix when I was in school and when I first got out. So there was really started distributed. Com- yeah, Good. really started. Sun and Apollo. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, HPUX 1.0, the, you know, Sun, <laughs> Solaris. I mean, yeah, all of that stuff. Tom's window manager back in the old days. But uh, so did all of that stuff um, and really started out in software development and that was distributed computing and it was this freeing thing and it allowed all these creative thoughts and creative ways to do things. And, you know, we had networking challenges and, and things along those lines, but that was the, the, the really the, the start of all of that. Well, that continued to evolve and, you know, that evolution just got kind of out of control. And when I was at Digital Realty, we dealt with a lot of enterprise data centers and this was really at the birthing of the cloud generation. 
products. Um, and all of the cloud giants really ate their own dog food. They used it for their own applications to start. And then just like your McDonnell Douglas an analogy, had excess capacity and created these wonderful business models that we use today. And now we're at this point of this gigantic distributed mainframe kind of concept in my, in my view, looking back from a historical perspective where we got storage compute and, and network between things. Now, just a tad more services than those mainframe days uh, in terms of what our, what our software folks can do. But it's really fascinating to look at, and look at how much it touches everything that we do today. Well, it, it, it's also a fascinating business model that Compass has developed under your leadership. Um, and, and, and it's almost like you're into um, what did, uh, mass customization. Yeah. Tell us about what that term means. So mass customization is the concept that if you've got a kit of parts, and it's a manufacturing concept, you know, Dell, Dell Computing taught me this uh, because I used to build my own PCs back in college and Dell came out and said, hey, you can pick from these parts and pieces and we can put it together quickly for you, right? And that's effectively what our data center does is, is we can create different topologies and different sizes um, based upon the client need with the same kit of parts and still deliver it very quickly at a low cost with high quality. Mm -hmm. And do you, um, do you act as general contractor or are you deploying your own people? So we're developers. Um, we, we don't act as the general contractor. We act as the developer. Um, we own the land. We do the land development. That is a, that is a black art form. That is not a mass customization type type of thing, but everything from the building up. Uh, and then we give clients options. We, we traditionally do only uh, single client facilities. And so we, we were able to give them what, they, what they're looking for from that perspective. And then we also even have it evolved enough to where they have the option of operating it themselves or, or we can operate it for them. So there's no man behind the curtain in our model. Um, you know, it, it's evolved enough to where you can hand the keys along with the, you know, the, uh, the new school instruction manual, right? I like to say, I used to be able to know what the valve settings were on my Oldsmobile and how to time them properly. And now I'm told not to drink the battery acid. Uh, you know, so I think we're trying to move more towards don't drink the battery acid side of things. And when you say operate the building, what do you mean by that? That's really the, um, we give clients elections around whether or not we're providing the security uh, guard services uh, as well as the, and, and managing the access controls for them, as well as the, uh, the facility management, which would involve the maintaining the generators and the cooling plants and, and the like. Um, and we do a little bit of IT infrastructure work, pulling a cable here and there, but that's not our preference. We, we try to stay out of their, their business on that front, but when necessary, we'll do that as well. We don't get into touching the keyboards and, and, and making network configuration. Well, you're talking physical security, not logical security. Yeah, we call it wholesale data center. So you're going to Costco, you're not going to Safeway. That's right. Now, is, um, that's interesting since I have a lot of CSOs and CISOs uh, in this community. Uh, and you say you actually helped uh, specify design and you'll even manage the physical security systems in place and the guard services. Um, how important that it has that become to the sales cycle? You know, it is important. Just, I mean, for example, we don't use, we rarely specify the access controls. We may be operating them for the client, but we're going to fit in whatever system that they have. That's part of that mass customization. So, hey, here's your base template for cameras and 
badge readers and the like and tell us what you want. Um, and we'll go ahead and, and make those adaptations. And then the meth the methods of procedure, right? The the standard operating procedures, how you go about doing things. What do you want when a you know, here's our basics for when a visitor shows up. What would you like to modify to match your business? How do you want to have things, you know, when it when a vendor shows up? This is what we have. What would what modifications would you like? Or what SLA do you want against that? I get it. I get it. So you end up owning the equipment, they specify it. Yeah. Okay. And you have the SLAs around the process, but they specify it and or customize it or configure it. The other, uh, uh, but you own it. So one of the SLAs is how often you update it or yep. expand it over time. Hundred percent. Right? Okay. And you get different different requirements by different uh, security orgs. Some of them want the firmware updated immediately. Others want to wait a cycle. Um, you know, there's differences on on those. But I will say, probably of all the things that clients choose not to outsource, uh, security is usually number one on the list, just because of the amount of procedural impact that it has. Absolutely. Um, but but we're we're open to it. We do it either way. So do you bring um, your security domain expertise? Do you have it inside Compass, and do they become part of the sales cycle then? The configuration. Yes. Hundred percent. So they act as advisors if needed. Yeah. If it, and and if you can't prove that you know what you're doing, like this isn't. Oh, hey, we'll do whatever you want. Um, you you during the sales cycle, you would lose a lot of credibility if you if you don't have good. Hey, show me how trucks get rejected. Show me what happens with the, you know, like show me what your rounds look like. Now they may want to augment and enhance it, but there's a baseline of due diligence. You have to know what you're doing. There uh, were three main things you told me when I first met you. Uh, three main um, customer value propositions that constantly are in play here that are creating demand for your level of services. What were those again? So speed, uh, low low price and high quality. And, and give me the, the benchmark comparison. Give me some ideas of someone who chooses not to outsource that to you. You know, what, what, what are you seeing as some of the obstacles that they usually encounter? You know, most of the time it's, um, we're able to be a rather nimble organization um, and we've already pre-designed and pre-spent a lot of money around the research and development, what supply chain that we have. I think we chatted a little bit earlier about a closely coupled supply chain versus the traditional globalism, just-in-time supply chain. Ours is a tightly, closely coupled pre-approved providers, pre-approved configurations. We're able to store things um, and stage them around at different different facilities so that we can deliver very quickly. Our goals are, are a little different than the industry in terms of speed. I mean, our fastest building we've ever done, including the site work was a four month process. Um, A, you know, in terms of a lot of our scenarios, we look to be able to deliver in an existing facility an additional data hall, we're trying to always target around 16 weeks. And, you know, for a new facility, if it's single story, uh, we really target in that in that six month for the kind of medium sized building to nine month on the larger buildings. And the multi-story gets a little longer, but not too much longer. But those timeframes vis-a-vis the rest of the industry are quite a bit different. Um, and, you know, we'll sign up to big penalties if we're late, um, you know, but if we do the pre-work at, at the places that we do it, we, we feel very comfortable with the amount of time and effort we spend on the kit of parts, the design, how we go about assembling the, the things on site. We like to call it, 
we actually call our construction organization a delivery organization to just flip the mindset. That's, that's great. You've even changed the language of your culture. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, from, uh, from that standpoint, though, um, what's really interesting to me, and you, you, you'll have it at the tip of your tongue, uh, we all know that data center market has absolutely exploded and you've advantaged yourself because of that growth. But just yeah. to give a sense to our audience, how many data centers a month are being built around the world right now? Do you have any clue? Uh, wow. You know, it is, uh, there are places within, in the U.S. with folks where they're delivering you know, six to 10 megawatts a month of capacity, you know, in multiple locations. Um, and you talk about this, I mean, you're talking about, you know, $50 billion a year worth of development that's going on on data centers. And this is really, you know, this is the difference. I guess the only analogy I can think of is when electricity came, up, came out, right? And people I just had it and they had access to it. And now you've got the same thing. You've got it exploding in Europe because no one wants to have their data, you know, stored in a different country, right? There's a there's a there's legal framework, there's regulatory framework, but then there's just look at the things you touch. It goes somewhere, and and that is the thing that people just can't comprehend. And we're getting to the point now where my children aren't interested in how how the iPhone works. I sure was, um, but they look at it like flipping on a light switch. They have no clue how it behind the scenes, right? I Just like I didn't ever have a clue what happened when I flipped the light switch on. Well, I, I just love your ele electricity model because what happened during that era is at the time, we don't think about this now, but at the time, no one knew all the applications for electricity. We started with just turning lights on. We didn't understand right. all the ramifications of that. So suddenly data centers present themselves and we're finding new uses for them every day with right. principle that everything you touch has to always be on. That's right. And it's it, it's so funny because when I get questions by analysts and different folks, when they look at the investors in the industry, they'll say, well, isn't it true that if they keep upgrading the applications, then it's going to use less power and they'd need less demand? I say, sure. Every <laughs> refresh, it would use less power and have more capacity right. without a doubt if the world was in situ. That is 100% correct, but God only knows what's next, right? Right. And, and, and you almost have, when it comes to megawatts and uh, always on availability, you're, you almost have a Moore's law here going on, if you think about it. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because we don't get efficiency models. We spend a lot of time as an industry really, and, and really leading the way. I mean, we're the largest buyers of renewable energy. We've driven renewable energy to you know, scale as an industry um, and really enabled a lot of great things uh, you know, from that perspective. On the, on the other side of it, you know, when, you, when you look at what goes on inside of these data centers, we don't have magical technologies. You know, these, are, these are old technologies, AC and DC, right? Uh, you know, that was something Edison was fighting over, not to, you know, with, you know, so, I mean, there, there's, we're still using these fundamental technologies. So you get more efficient around them, but you don't have huge breakthroughs. I mean, we still make power outlets, you know, and we have to reject heat and there's laws of thermodynamics and what can get done. And more importantly, there's people involved. 
there's so much of this and, and there's so much opportunity, you know, people would love to say, Oh, robots are going to take it all over and, or this can happen or that can happen. Okay, fine. Once again, in situ, but there's changes constantly. And so it, it's just this, it's a fascinating industry. It's, um, it's a massive industry and it's not very well understood. And God knows we're always recruiting for, for new folks and new blood into it. Um, Cause it's a, it's a, it's a great growing field. Well, you, you bring up a good point. What you've been become masters of, of is, is creating, um, like you said, ma massive, conf uh, uh, massive configuration, customization through kit team and, uh, and, and actually being able to uh, be very agile when it comes to customers' demands. But you're not necessarily, and again, I'm just getting to know Compass Data Center, so please forgive me, but you're not going to necessarily innovate. What you're going to do is listen intently to customer needs and make sure you're adapting that configuration sheet to those needs. Is that a correct statement? Yeah, our, our innovation is around, is a lot around business process, the changing the way that the business is done. We're a supply chain driven organization, supply chain design based, not, not design design based. Right. Uh, so, so we want to work with the most com most uh, repeated component, right? All of these same concepts that have been done in other industries. We've just taken those into this world of construction. Um, you know, yes, there are some innovative things that can get done, you know, but a lot of them are how we do things, like how we remotely manage. We use a lot of technology, whether it's drones or cameras or robots or this or that. But it's all about getting things for scale to amp to improve the speed, lower the cost and, and, and increase the quality. And so if it violates one of those, but no, we're not inventing a new form of electricity, you know, at the end of the day. Or a new form of concrete or a new form of whatever, right? We so, did work a little bit on the concrete. We worked with a company carbon cure to, to get uh, the cement content down and take some CO2 out of the atmosphere. We do, we do some of that, but it, on the material side, but they're hard to find. It's hard to find those kind of wins. And construction is an old industry, and it's got signs of innovation everywhere. What um, can can you share with the community where you've innovated besides the kitting, besides pre-approved vendors? Where else have you innovated in the supply chain and construction cycle that that really makes the difference for your clients? You know, for us, what gets us to the speed and the lower cost is we we go slow to go fast. So we spend so much time making sure that we nail that design element um, and the, the, what we call the OFCI, the owner furnished equipment, knowing what all of those activities are so that when we hit the go button, we can get the contractors on the job site quickly, get them working quickly. We teach them what sequences are the most efficient that they need to use on the job site, what, who needs to go where, what, who needs to not be in that, you know, you're the plumber, you're in this area for this week and then you're, not allowed in that area anymore, you know? So a high level of sequencing. Um, and what that does is it increases health, you know, our, our health and safety benefits, right? We get a cleaner job site, a healthier job site, a safer job site. Um, but most importantly for our clients is they get a fat, they get a product quickly and it's got high quality, right? Because if I can get, if I get contractors that can self-discover, they can get on and off a compass job site faster with least amount of issues and in a highly safe environment, we're going to attract the right contractors that we want for our work. And, and we're going to get a better product at the end of the day. Um, in the early days of CAD cam, um, 
I went into Apple Computer. And I remember talking to a VP of engineering about bringing computer-aided design in. And I said, and you're also bringing computer-aided manufacturing. That is, you're going to actually, the, the key thing about CAD-CAM was aggregating the information, the design intelligence, and then leveraging it over time and yeah. leveraging it to manufacture. And he said, I, I don't want to look at the manufacturing. We're only interested in the design. And I said, let me ask you a question and I'll get to my point here and you can comment on it. He said, I said, Steve Jobs has a window of opportunity for the next iPhone. And if you go, how many times do you turn to manufacturing and you're iterating back and forth and discussing what could be manufactured or not? You, in a sense, have a, your customer has a window of opportunity in a fast growing market and you've taken the guesswork out of that equation. It's absolutely right. remarkable. You have given them the window of opportunity for their own marketplace. Yep. And what's, so what's so cool about that, and I love the CAD to CAM because we spend so much time, the industry has such a hard time. People start with CAD or Revit now. They just right. start drawing. Right. We've lost that schematic and design document kind of, you know, the, the calculations and doing that before we do the work. That is one of our things. You can't start your drawing until you can conceptualize it visually and give us what the basis is, and then you can go into it. What happens with that process, which you had to do in the old days, you know, and they had to do it original days, but uh, that gets skipped all the time and people just start hitting go. And as a result of that, you lose all of these things, the conflicts issues, the amount of challenges issues. And CAD to CAM, you had to be so precise. You had to really think about it before you put it together. Then you'd implement it. And then the, the CAM side, you know, the machine would tell you if it didn't work. That's like, right. That's, that's going to break. We don't have that in construction. That's something that we've been forcing through an SD and DD process, a schematic and a design doc process from a compass perspective. Oh, that's absolute. So you, in a sense, when somebody asked me, what do you think is at the heart of Chris Crosby's success? And I was thinking, you've been a student of the value stream. Oh, yeah. That's it. You For a long time. The value stream. And because you learn from your previous endeavors, you've created, I think, one of the first value stream companies when it comes to this industry. Well, thank you. I, it's a, you know, failure, uh, the opposite of success is not failure, it's quitting. So, <laughs> you know. We, we firmly believe the better you get, the more you fail. Uh, we actually give out a Wiley Coyote Award every quarter, which is our, and then you have to show how you took that fail and you pokeyoke it into a way that we never have to worry about it again. Pokeyoke is the, of course, the Toyota phrase about it is. preventing inadvertent error, but we celebrate the failures at Compass because they make us better. And I, Lord knows I've never learned anything through success. Yeah, but here's the key. You're failing on your own time. When you get to yeah. the customers, hit the button and go. Yeah. This has been a great conversation with a student and master of value stream in a market called data centers. And Chris Crosby, we've enjoyed this great conversation. Thank you, Ron.